Well, today's a very special day. We are going to be doing an elder ordination. This is only the second time in a decade that Fellowship of Grace has ordained new elders. And today we're going to be ordaining John Wyman right up here. Many of you know him. He's been serving with us for several years, and his wonderful wife, Dee, is sitting next to him. So today's going to be kind of an information download. Somebody asked me in the first service, they said, are we having only one service today? Because they saw the notes. They said, it looks like a whole, you know, like a two-hour service. It won't be two hours. But I think it's really important to share some things with you folks, because I'll tell you, that a great deal of churches are very confused about leadership. They take models from business, they take models from other places in life, and they try to make them fit into the church, and they simply don't because they're not God's model. And so I want you to see today how God has ordered his church, and I want you to see what this officer of elder is, what it's supposed to be, and then I'm going to spend a few minutes just talking to John. I'm going to have a conversation with John. I'm inviting you to listen in to it, uh, but I want to charge him uh, with what it's going to be like to be a pastor elder. And then lastly, I want to share with you just a few minutes about what your response should be as a church. And so let's get started. First, I want you to see that the church has an official office of overseer elder. Now, there are two specific uh, offices in the New Testament church. There is the elder and there is the deacon. Deacons are, we've ordained deacons several times in our history. Um, uh, Deacons are are mainly servants to the body, and we have several men in our church that serve that way. Uh, Elders are the uh, uh, overseers, as we see on that slide. Uh, Now, let me just say a couple things. One, that doesn't mean that we can't have other positions in the church, okay? But they're not ordained by God. We have a director of security here. We have a director of children's ministries here. We have a lot of different functional things that we need to do to really, uh, you know, do church well. Uh, But the reality is when it comes to what God has ordained, what God has set apart, what God has specifically uh, inspired, there are only two offices in the New Testament church, uh, elder and deacon. Now, some will say, uh, well, there's a whole bunch of words for that. It's confusing. We're going to get there. But let me just uh, show you here in 1 Timothy 3.1 what it says. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so if God puts it in the heart of a man uh, to become a pastor elder, uh, it's a noble task, but it is uh, the desire to fulfill an office in the New Testament church. Now let me just say this. Any person, if you're here today and you're considering being a pastor as a career choice, please seek counseling, okay? That's a a horrible idea. If you're seeking it as a career choice, it is an absolute disaster for everybody who does that. I've even spoken to men who said, well, I I tried my hand at several different things and couldn't do them well, so I decided to be a pastor. Listen, those those are not the guys we want to be pastors. What we want to be pastors are guys that say, listen, I've got a calling on my life. There's something in my gut that maybe I can't even explain that's just the Spirit of God eating at me, calling me, uh, forcing me in a sense to give in to the calling of God to do this thing. Folks, any other reason to become a pastor elder is ludicrous. The only reason we should ever do this is to fulfill this office at the call of God. Now, the confusion comes because the, the New Testament uses a series of different words. And I'm, uh, today, I'm kind of, we usually use the ESV version. I'm going to use the New American Standard version today from now on in these verses because they specifically use the, the uh, words uh, rather than phrases, and it makes it a little more easy to see and understand. But there are several different words for this office. 
the words elder, overseer, or bishop, depending on which um, translation you have, shepherd or pastor, and steward are all words describing this same office. Now, I don't usually do this kind of stuff because I don't want to bore you. I don't want you to fall asleep. But let's get um, uh, a little bit uh, you know, educational here for a minute, all right? Uh, we want to look at some terms, uh, what they are in the Greek, what their definition is, what their emphasis is, so that we see these four separate terms. The first one is elder or presbyter, uh, depending on what translation you have. And it, it, you see the Greek word there, and it means an older man. And the emphasis is being a senior or having life experience, being old. Now, when I was 20 years old, I thought I was pretty old. I no longer think that 20 years old is very old. And I am amazed uh, when Mormon missionaries come to my home and, and Elder Scott and Elder Paul ask me to call them elder and I'm more than twice their age. It just doesn't make any sense, folks. The term elder itself insinuates some life experience. There's some road traveled. There's a little bit of, of real true life. Uh, there's, it's not just age, folks. It's, it's not the, the numerical age. It's the fact that we've lived life a little longer. Listen, if you aren't smarter at 50 than you were at 20, there's a problem. You know, I thought I was really smart at 20, but I realized the more and more that I wasn't really as smart as I thought I was. The reality is, folks, this term elder means uh, somebody who has had a little bit of life under their belt, and they've experienced life, and they've experienced the relationship with God. The second term is overseer or bishop. We see the Greek uh, term there, episkopos. It means a guardian or superintendent. It's somebody who has oversight. It's somebody who is responsible for something. It would be like me saying to you, hey, here, there's this, this wonderful, valuable, beautiful vase that I have. I want you to take care of it, oversight. I want you to, I want you to manage it. I want you to be, have oversight over it. Then we see the term shepherd or pastor. We see the Greek there is poimen, and it's a metaphoric term. It means one who tends sheep. Now, we, we kind of, I mean, we have a pretty good idea of shepherds. Are there any shepherds here today? We don't, we don't have a lot of shepherds here, but we know what shepherds are, right? They watch sheep, they take care of them, they look after them. Uh, that's another term or word for this position. And it's somebody who provides protection for the church. Someone who prides, provides protection for the body of Christ. And lastly, we see the term steward or okonomo, which is a metaphoric, a metaphoric term meaning a treasurer, somebody who watches the money, somebody who's trustworthy enough to trust them with the cash, Okay, uh, Judas wasn't a very good uh, Okinomo, okay? Wasn't a good guy to trust with the cash. It, it's somebody who not necessarily uh, the responsibility is to look after the money, but it's somebody whose character you can trust to, to basically guard the money box, to guard uh, the wealth of the body. But how do we know that these are referring to the same person, the same uh, position, the same office in the New Testament? Well, because they're used to describe the same office in, in different words. They're used multiple times in a verse to describe the same position or the same office. Let's look at a couple of those. The first one is Acts 20, verses 17 and 28. Now, I've skipped a bunch of verses here to, to just uh, help on time. If you want to go back and reread all of these, you can. But I want you to see that they are talking about the same group of men. And here's what it says in Acts 20, verses 17 to 28 and 28. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders 
of the church. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so what we see here, folks, is in this one verse or in this one passage, we see all three of these terms used to signify the same group of men. By the way, anytime you see uh, elders in the New Testament, there's always a plurality of elders. You never ever see, there never is any example in the New Testament of a single pastor leading a single church by himself. That's dangerous, folks. There's no accountability. Uh, there's, no, uh, there's no stability. What if the guy gets hit by a pickle truck? What does the church do? Who knows? You know, there's nobody else here to handle things, to lead, to shepherd. And so the reality is God always wants a plurality of elders in a New Testament church. So that's what it says here in Acts chapter 20 uh, about those three. Let's look at Titus uh, chapter 1, verses 5 and 7. Here's what that says. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. And so in this passage in Titus, we see that the three terms are used for the same exact group of men. It's not three separate group of men. It's one group of men that fulfill this uh, office uh, that you, all three terms are used to describe. And lastly, we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, this. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So we see once again the, the terms elder, overseer, and shepherd used in this one passage. Folks, this is one office. Yes, there are uh, several words used to describe it because uh, the position really provides different functions at different times. And we're going to see what those are here in just a moment. But I want to make sure that you understand there's not like a group of shepherds and then a group of, of overseers and, and a group of, of, of uh, uh, elders. Uh, this is all one position, one office that a group of men serve, one local church in the New Testament. So let's talk for a minute about the specific responsibilities of an elder. The first thing we see is in this passage we're going to look at in 1 Timothy, we see the first two. Ruling, leading, and preaching, teaching. Ruling, leading, and preaching, teaching. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And so we see here that the elders are, are, should be ruling well, and, and you want to give double honor to those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Those who, who really labor at opening the Word of God and helping us understand it, helping us apply it, help us see the principles in it so that God can transform our lives through it, these are the men that we should be giving double honor. Now, if you look carefully at the passage in context, and what does the Bible students cheer? Context, context, context. 
Oh, you guys are getting better at cheering. You've known it for a long time. You're getting better at cheering. Good. Context, context, context. If you look carefully at the, pas- at the passage, the context of it is talking about paying them. Now, this is, now, this is not saying pay your pastors double their salary. It's not an effort to do that. Okay? But what it is saying is, listen, listen, if you get pastors who lead well, and they also work really hard at preaching and teaching God's word, it says you should consider them worthy of double pay. In other words, you don't pay them double, but you should say to yourself, man, these guys are worth twice what we pay them. They're just worth it. I wish we could, we can't, or whatever. We're not going to, but, but they're worth it. And so we see here that these two are really key responsibilities of elders and responsibilities that we should take very seriously, ruling, leading, and preaching, teaching. Uh, The next one we see is pastoring, shepherding. Pastoring, shepherding. We see a good example of this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, there are several very sobering verses that we're going to look at today, John. This is one of them. This is saying, listen, pastors, elders, shepherds, be on guard for yourselves and also guard the flock of which God has made you, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Shepherd them well. Shepherd them well. And, and which, why, why is it so important to shepherd them well? Why is it so critical? Because this is not our church. You know, just because uh, Fellowship of Grace was birthed in, 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 in my dream state or whatever, uh, God gave me the vision to do it. The moment that we began the process, it's not my thing. It's not the pastor's thing. It's not even your thing. It's God's thing. Look what it says. To shepherd the church of God. Now talk about a huge responsibility. God's saying, listen, folks, uh, men who, who, who get this call and answer it, you're not shepherding something of your own. You're shepherding something that belongs to God. And by the way, if you forget how important that is, he bought it with his own blood. Wow. Now that is a responsibility that keeps us up at night. Seriously, that is a huge responsibility that we lose sleep over, that we agonize over. This is something, this church is something that belongs to God. He bought it with the, blo- the lifeblood of his own son, and now he's entrusted us to be under shepherds and to shepherd the flock. What a huge responsibility. Uh, we could say that it's a privilege to serve the body this way, but in reality, it's way more responsibility than it is privilege. The other thing we see is that pastors, shepherds, elders are responsible for guarding the truth. Guarding the truth. Look what it says in Titus 1.9. It says, Holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Now that's a pretty high order. So the first step is we got to know God's word. We have to spend time studying God's word, reading God's word, agonizing over God's word, meditating on God's word, memorizing God's word. We have got to know it. Second, we have to communicate it. We have to communicate it well. We have to exhort others to follow God's word. And then third, sometimes we have to defend it. 
a man that usually comes to our first service this morning, a, a rather uh, uh, elderly man, even to me, uh, came and he said, hey, I want you to see why I left my previous church. And he had in me a church bulletin. And the first uh, uh, announcement on the bulletin was, you're invited to Steve and Richard's uh, a wedding ceremony. Now, folks, it is a huge responsibility for pastor elders to not only know God's word and know how to apply it, know how to interpret it, but to know how to defend it, to know how to apply it to the local church. Now, now listen, we are not uh, tyrants here where everybody has to think exactly like us about every single peripheral uh, uh, thing. But sometimes people come to our church and they're like, well, I just moved here from Indianapolis. And oh, by the way, if anybody's here from Indianapolis, I shouldn't have said a word, shouldn't have said a city because I know I'm going to offend somebody. But whatever they come from, Anchorage. Am I safe there? Okay. Uh, I just came from Mooferings, and I, and, I, and I led a community group in my church for 20 years. Can I lead a community group here? The answer is, maybe someday, but not today. We don't know you. It's not because we have anything against you, but we don't know you, and we're not going to trust you and entrust to you a piece of the body to influence when we don't even have any idea what you believe yet. Now, I'll tell you, in the, in the 10 years of this church's history, there have been three or four times that we have either had to go to a community group or pull somebody out of a community group and say, you need to stop teaching this. This is heresy. Here's what God's word says. Here's what it means. Here's how it is. And, and, and they say, well, I just don't believe that. I, I don't, it doesn't matter what you believe. Okay? Here's what we teach because God's word says this is what it is. If you feel differently, feel away. I don't care if you feel but you aren't going to teach that stuff in this church. And folks, I'm just telling you, that is a huge responsibility for us. It not only means that we have to know and preach and teach and guard the truth, but it means that we have to have the guts to stand up to people who would come in and mislead the flock and take some of you down a primrose path without even knowing it. And so it's a huge, huge responsibility. So those are the responsibilities, basically, of an elder. Uh, they are gigantic, and, and we should always see them, guys, as uh, things that we are going to be held accountable to. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they're just, it's just really important for us to see these as our responsibilities. Now, folks, I'm just going to invite you to, I don't want you to take a nap because I want you to hear what I'm going to tell John, but I'm going to have a conversation now between John and I for the next uh, five to seven minutes. And, and, and John, we're going to talk about what elders should, what elders should do. And the first thing is this, we should speak the word of God. And by the way, in and out of the pulpit, not only here do we speak the word of God, but right here we speak the word of God, and right there we speak the word of God, and right out those doors we speak the word of God. Look what it says in Hebrews. It says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Now this passage is talking about the uh, uh, hall of faith, uh, those faithful servants who have passed away and gone on. And, and, and the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. It's important for us, John, to be able to speak the word of God, not just as preachers, but, but in counseling people. 
in talking to people, when they come to us with their problems, there are answers for life's problems. And they're found in God's word. They're not found in your mind. They're not found in my mind. They're not even found in our vast experience of life. They are found in God's word. And we need to constantly be speaking God's word into their life. Second, we need to walk the way of faith. In fact, it says imitate their faith. Let me just go back to that verse again. Look what it says. Considering the results of their conduct, imitate their faith. Now, uh, Paul said, imitate me or follow me as I follow Christ. It's important for us to remember we never have it all together, okay? We're not saying we're perfect. We're not saying uh, uh, that we've got it all together, and if everybody would just do exactly like us, their life would be perfect. Our lives aren't perfect, okay? We, are no, we know that. But we should live at a level where we can say with integrity, come and do what I do. If you'll just, if you'll just come and read the Bible like I read the Bible, if you'll just come and pray like I pray, if you'll just come and serve like I serve, if you'll just come and, and spend time with God and his people like we do, your life will be changed. Your life will be different. Your life will be better. We should live at that, at that level. And there's a couple of places that we should do that. First in character. First in character. Look what it says in 1 Timothy. If this doesn't make us run screaming into the woods, nothing will. Okay? It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. John, you and I and the other pastors of this church must keep our character and our lives in a place where we can ask others to follow us. And bless you. And uh, uh, so, that, so we need to walk the way of faith in character, but also in our leadership. Also in our leadership. Look what it says here in Mark chapter 10. It says, Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. John, what Jesus is saying here is, if you want to lead, you want to lead God's church? You want to answer the call to lead God's church? You have to agree to be the best servant. Now, you've been serving this church for some time now. You've been here. You've done virtually everything you've ever been asked to do and asked to do more. Uh, but now answering this call, it means that you've served at a great level. Now you must serve at even a greater level. And notice where my hand goes. It's not going up. It's going down. The reality is we have to be the greatest servants in this church. We have to be uh, the greatest lovers of people. We have to be uh, the greatest servants of the body. We have to be those that will sacrifice more than anybody else. Uh, the reality is when we look at leadership in the New Testament, we see Jesus' leadership, we don't see a guy strutting around saying, hey, everybody do what I say because I'm the boss. I'm the big cheese. Everybody do what I say. We see a guy who washes feet. We see a guy who serves others by feeding them. 
we see a man who is the deepest servant and nobody questions his authority. Now they questioned, the disciples had at least two conversations arguing over who was going to be number two. They never had a conversation arguing over who was number one. And by the way, men, when we talk about, I'm going to go off John for just a minute. Uh, when we talk about our homes and leading our homes and being the spiritual leader of our homes, this is exactly what we're talking about. Being the leader of your home does not mean I'm going to sit in my big fat easy chair and tell my wife to get me a Diet Pepsi out of the fridge because I want one. <laughs> that's, not, that's not loving leadership. Okay? It, it means that I have to be the greatest servant. If I'm going to lead my family, I have to be the greatest servant in my home to my wife, to my children, to my community. And John, Jesus is giving us a challenge here. You want to be the greatest in this church? You want to fulfill who he's made you to be the best? You be the greatest servant. And by the way, it's not just serving when other people are watching, but it's having the heart of a servant even when they aren't and when nobody sees Next, we see that the scripture tells us to keep watch over the people. In Hebrews, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. This is a very interesting passage, and the wording is very interesting. Notice it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. In other words, John, we aren't going to give an account for anybody in this room but us. Okay, They're going to give an account to God for themselves. But we have to live in such a way that we might have to give an account as though we were going to have to give an account. In other words, it should always be in our minds that someday as, as Joe is standing before God and giving an account of his life, I'm going to be standing there with my arm around Joe and, and God's going to be looking at me as his pastor and be judging me for how I have led him, how I have, how I have helped him, how I have encouraged him. Now, again, it's not saying that's how it will be. It says that's how we should live, and that's how we should keep watch over the people. It is our responsibility to watch out over this flock. We can't control people's decisions. If I could control the decisions of everybody else, uh, there'd be... <laughs> uh, in fact, if you made decisions for me, I'd probably have a lot, a lot less problems, too. But here's the thing. We need to encourage people. And, and by the way, this is not a church. You, you know this church. This is not a church where everybody minds their own business. There's not a New Testament church where everybody minds their own business. Because when business becomes public, we have to deal with it. We have to talk about it. We have to deal with it in love, but we have to deal with it. And so we have to keep watch over the people as though we're going to give an account to God. Lastly, John, I want you to remember that you're going to give an account for your life and I'm going to give an account for my life. We have to prepare to give an account for how we have led. The minute you said, yes, I will answer this call, uh, you have taken on a greater responsibility. Look what it says in James chapter 3. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. I don't know how all that's going to work. But the reality is we are not only responsible for the normal things, but we're responsible for more, John, because we've agreed to take on the responsibility of teaching and leading and shepherding God's church. 
we are going to answer for that, how we've done that. And it's a little scary. It should always be a little scary because we aren't perfect, because we'll never be perfect. But these are the things that we should, we should strive for, we should labor for, we should, we should give our lives to. Because someday we will stand before God and give an account, not only for our own lives, but how we have led these people. Don't let that slip your mind, my friend. Don't ever let that slip your mind. Now, church, there are some responses that God demands of a body who are following good, godly men. And I want to share those with you. First, remember and imitate their faith. Again, remember this passage we already looked at. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. In other words, listen, they're not perfect men, but they're following Christ faithfully. They're following Christ faithfully, so just imitate them. Just do what they do. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Just come and do what we do. And hopefully, your spiritual life, your spiritual journey will move forward. Your spiritual life will grow. So come and imitate the faith that we hopefully model for you. Second, obey and submit. Now I know those are two words that our culture just hates. Our culture just hates. And that's because our culture is full of such horrible leaders. If everybody led like Jesus did, the words obey and submit would not even be fearful to us. We'd love them. But we don't have leaders like that all over the place. But look what it says back there in that passage we read before in, in Hebrews. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Folks, the reality is, once you decide, and by the way, if you want to be an attender here and just come and attend services here and we'll love on you, we'll, we'll let, let you sing with us and we'll preach to you and we'll let you hang out with us and you can be our pal and our friend and, and there's absolutely no responsibility. But the moment you say, I want this to be my family, I'm going to plant my flag with you and be a member of this local church, you also, whether you realize it or not, place yourself under the, the discipline of this church's leadership. And look what it says in this passage. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. You know, you know how to influence your pastors leading you full of joy and with no grief? Don't cause a lot of unjoy and a lot of grief. That's really how to do that. See, the reality is, folks, when good godly leaders are, are fulfilling their calling as best that they can, nobody's perfect, as best they can, and good godly people are following them, willing to accept their humanness, and yet following the authority that's been given to them by God, the church is a beautiful thing. There's no chaos. There's, there's no... There's no fighting and gossiping and all that goofy stuff. It, it works. 
It works. Just like a home. If a man is a good, godly leader of his home, giving his life for his wife and his children, serving them and being the greatest servant, and his wife is following him and, 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 and just uh, being a helpmate to him, and their kids are in line being disciplined properly, there's not chaos in the home. There's joy. There's joy. The last thing is it's least important, right? You had to fill up a little more time. It's because it's important, and I want you to leave with this on your mind. Pray and support your pastors. Look what it says in that very next verse in Hebrews 13. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your pastors. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, look, look, we, we have a good conscience. We're trying. We, are, we really are laboring and trying to lovingly lead you. And the best thing you can do is to pray for us. By the way, I want to challenge you to pray for your leaders at least four times as much as you gossip about them or criticize them. You know what will happen if you pray for your leaders four times more than you gossip about them or criticize them? you'll stop gossiping about them and criticizing them. Now, I know on any given Sunday, I'm probably the main course in at least a half a dozen homes for lunch. <clears throat> we used to have the pastor for lunch, and I don't mean we used to bring him over to our house and let him sit at our table. I was raised in a home where uh, people criticized and gossiped about people at church and whatever, you know, every time we got home. Folks, that, those aren't the characteristics of a follower of Jesus. And I want to encourage you. I, I know. I've served with Pastor Derek for a decade. I've served with Pastor Kendall for a decade. I've served with John for uh, several years now. We are men who are <laughs> flesh and blood, but we are trying desperately to serve this body and to lead it well. Pray for us. Pray for us, pray for us. I guarantee your prayers for us will do much more to make us better leaders than your criticism or your gossip. I promise you that. So folks, do these things. Remember and imitate our faith. Come and follow us as we follow Jesus. Obey and submit to our authority in the spiritual sense and pray and support us. That will make us better elders for you. You are the ones who are blessed by it. Uh, you're the ones who, uh, in a sense, get the benefit of it, all right? And now what we're going to do is something that's uh, uh, maybe different for some of you. We're going to lay hands on John and set him apart for this thing. What that is, folks, is a very symbolic way uh, that the church uses to take somebody and set them aside for a specific task. We do this when our church goes on mission trips. Uh, we do this when we ordain deacons, when we ordain elders, those kind of things. Uh, there's no like weird, spooky, hocus-pocus going on here. Uh, you know, but, but what it is, and we're not whispering to him how to do the secret handshake or anything like that. Um, what we're doing, what we're doing is we're putting our hands on him and we're saying, we are uh, conferring on you and confirming that we believe you are called by God to serve this body as a pastor elder. Uh, we are praying for you. We are setting you apart for that work. And from this point forward, uh, you serve in that office. And so, John, come and stand right up here with us. If the men in our church who are ordained as pastors would come up. And we're just going to lay hands on John, and I'm going to pray for him.
And I want to invite you all to pray with us as we set John aside for this important, incredible task. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for John. Thank you for how you have led him, how you have led uh, he and Dee to our church, and what a blessing they have already been. Father, I thank you for the call on his life. I pray now that you would give him the strength to fulfill that call, that you would give him the sense of, of holiness and righteousness, uh, not in a sense of being above anybody, but of just uh, clinging to your mercy and your grace to fulfill this call. God, help all of us uh, to fulfill that call. Uh, Lord, as he serves our church, I pray that you would remind him of the things he's heard today. Help him to grow in his service. Help him to become the greatest servant in the body. Uh, Father, we uh, thank you for what you've already done through his ministry here. And as we set him aside as a pastor of Fellowship of Grace, I pray that you will bless his ministry in the future as he continues to try to share the gospel with those who are far from you, as he disciples men, women, and children, and as he uh, really fulfills the call and expands your kingdom. God, bless him. Bless him. Help him to love, love, love the people of this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, John. And we have a certificate of ordination for you, and this just says certificate of ordination is to certify that John Wyman has been set apart and called to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ on the ninth day of April in the year 2017 at Fellowship of Grace and signed by us. John, congratulations. God bless you, my friend. Thank you.